Bartimaeus, the blind man. And we touched on it briefly because it was part of a bigger passage. But we want to um, just talk about what that actually looks like in the context of what we did. Um, for the rest of you who went and didn't get to share, can you just raise your hand if you were with us last week? Just raise your hand if you were with us last week. Just look around. After service, I would just encourage you to stop and talk to one of these these people and just ask them to tell maybe a story or two, uh, maybe to explain one of the pictures <laughs> that you saw and what they were doing and how God um, just really spoke to them. So I encourage you to do that. So we're going to look at um, Mark chapter 10. It's verses 46 to the end of that chapter, 46 to 52. And that's going to be sort of our uh, springboard this morning, the context within which we, uh, we look at God's heart for the poor. And there are some other verses that I want to uh, bring to our attention this morning. I'll share some stories. But for the remainder of our time together, we're going to look at this story. But I'd like you to keep it in context of the testimonies that you just heard and the pictures that you saw. Because this is the story of Jesus and his disciples making their way to Jerusalem. It's been our study in the Gospel of Mark. And he comes across a blind man who is also a beggar. And his name is Bartimaeus. And it's just a a few verses. But it tells a very powerful story and I think paints a very vivid picture of God's heart for all of his children. But it also can be a great reminder for us, even a filter, if you will, on how we should view all of God's creation. Because, you know, um, as we were serving this week, there were many, many hundreds of people that were just walking by. And I'm not going to judge all of them, of course. They saw us helping. But how many times when the ministry is not out there, or even when we're in the city visiting or seeing a show or whatever, and we just walk by, now, of course... I wouldn't believe God would expect us to, to help and pray with and give money to every single soul that we see on the street. But what is our mindset? What do we think of when we see people that are struggling? And I would just hope and pray that our passage today and other verses will help us to, to be reminded of that. But in an encouraging way, in a challenging way as well. So here's what it says in Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52 a passage that we touched on a few weeks ago. And it simply says this, And they, meaning Jesus and his disciples, they came to Jericho. Okay, that was a city. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a great crowd, and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him, telling him, be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped. And he said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. So throwing off his cloak, Bartimaeus sprang up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, 
let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Now, if you remember, we touched on a few aspects of this story. We see that Jericho is a city, so they're entering into the city. And there's a whole crowd on the road, on the street, and they come across a blind beggar. And his name is Bartimaeus. But he's sitting on the side of the road. And, and the crowds are basically, they were following Jesus, are trying to quiet him because he recognizes by the sound of his voice and the sound of the crowd, it's Jesus, the son of David. So he cries out to him for help. But his disciples, even the ones who had previously tried to quiet the children, they're like, shh, don't bother the master. Be silent. Don't bother us. But Jesus stopped. And he called him. Then the disciples said, hey, the guy's calling you. Come on, change their tune. And then he simply asked him a very powerful question. What do you want me to do for you? That's what Jesus asked him. And he said, recover my sight. And Jesus said, it's already done. Go on your way. And then Bartimaeus began to follow Jesus and joined the crowd on the street. So in the context of the mission work we just did and the pictures you saw to help you kind of join in this conversation and have a visual, let's look at some some aspects of this narrative and see what it is that God can maybe do to, to help change our mind, to change our perspective, what God did with men and with Steve and the others that went. First of all, we see Jericho, it's a city. So, you know, oftentimes we know hey, if we want to if we want to go help a lot of people that are struggling, the city is the place to be because there's a lot of people and there's a lot of need. But there's also a lot of resources. Now, I have to believe, of course, 100%, that there are people that are homeless right in your neighborhood and you might not even know it. No fault in your own. You probably just don't even realize it. We certainly don't have to go even all the way to New York City or Brazil to find people that are struggling with addiction or homelessness or poverty. They're all around us. But here is Jericho, a city... We decided, made a commitment to go to New York City. And here was a man who was at the side of the road. You see, you have to remember that there was a great crowd. They were following Jesus and they were on the path, on the road. And here was Bartimaeus. He was at the side of the road. It's a great picture of how we as a society often kick to the curb or push to the margins people that are not like us. People that struggle, that have problems that maybe we don't want to deal with. People that we don't want to talk to or see. And so we push them to the sides. And literally, here is Bartimaeus on the side of the road. See, everybody else was on the road. He was pushed to the side. But you know what's so fascinating? We don't just hear of a blind beggar. We get his name. He's got a name. His name is Bartimaeus, and Mark even tells us what that means. It simply means the son of Timaeus, Bar-Timaeus. So here is a blind beggar pushed to the side, but yet he is still a human being. And he still has a name. God knows his name. The one we just sang about, what a beautiful name he is. He knows all of us. He created us. We are a masterpiece, a work of art. That's not just Christians or those of us sitting in this church. 
That's all of the beautiful people that He created. Or a masterpiece, a work of art. His creation that He poured His love and devotion into. And so it is with Bartimaeus, who is at the side of the road. He's not only blind, but he's a beggar. So he's got two major things against him. You know, we recognize this week that we don't just meet people that are struggling with homelessness. They're almost always struggling with many different afflictions, whether it be drugs or mental disability, depression, anxiety, poverty, many people in poverty. You know, we'll get to that more in a second about how we relate to them and their poverty. But he is somebody's child and he is somebody's son because he is the son of Timaeus. So the next time you're out and you see people around, you notice somebody that's struggling wherever you may be, let us remember, as we always should, before we judge, because we all do it, this is somebody's son. This is somebody's daughter. They are humans that deserve dignity and respect. They are not a project, and they are not a problem to be fixed. One of the things that this ministry does is when they hand out a cup of soup, they pour it into the cup, a styrofoam cup. Before they hand it off to one of the friends that come to get a cup of soup, they wipe off the side. Why is that? Well, why should we hand a dirty cup of soup with soup dripping on the side to somebody? Because that's that would say as if, hey, it's free, you should just be thankful that you're getting it. No, it's just a small sign of respect and dignity. We place tables and chairs outside so they have a place to sit and then all of our volunteers are encouraged. If you're not serving soup, if you're not praying for people, go and sit and eat with them. So we get to eat the soup too. And we go and we sit next to our friends. We say, how are you today? My name's Keith, what's your name? And then you talk. Why? You're on their level, you're eating with them. It's a sign of dignity and respect because they are people, they are sons and daughters. The others on the road were walking, and here was blind Bartimaeus sitting. Even in that picture, a position of lowliness. But yet he comes with humility as he recognizes the voice. Recognizes the voice. You know, we prayed throughout the week that we would hear the voice of God. That we would sense the moving of the Spirit. But you have to pray to pray to get that don't you i mean that is something we should pray for that we recognize everybody as god's creation and that we don't just push people aside into the margins of society because they're not like us or because they're a problem to be fixed but we want to hear the voice of god to help us do that so here is somebody that's been pushed aside not part of the crowd but yet he hears the voice remember he's blind he's got nothing to offer But he hears the voice and so he cries out. How often when we are struggling or recognizing our own spiritual poverty, do we cry out to God or do we try to fix it ourselves? But we are to cry out to God just like Bartimaeus did. He found the resource. The one who could help him. The one who could bring healing See, that's the purpose of this ministry and others like it. And all of the missionaries that we support and that we help and that we pray for is that they are there to be a resource 
to be the hands and feet of Jesus. That was part of what we tried to do this week. To be a help to the ministry and to those that we were serving. See, Bartimaeus heard Jesus. He had found the one true source of help and healing. And we know that when we go to help somebody, our ultimate goal is to introduce them to the one true source. The only resource that can bring lasting hope, lasting peace to people that are truly struggling. But that goes for us as well. So we need to let people know and introduce them to the one true source of healing. And that's what we try to do this week. See, but there was also others who were trying to silence them. You know, so it's not enough that we have to bring, uh, that we desire to bring help and hope and to bring people to the Lord Jesus, right? But there are circumstances and things that are fighting against us. There are man-made systems in place that make it so much harder for people to find help, that make it even harder to go and to serve. So here's a group of people that were following Jesus. They tried to silence him. Tried to keep him on the margins of society. But what we're called to do is to invite them. To invite them off the sides of the streets. Invite invite them to the party. Invite them to join in our celebration. So that's what I like to think of when we introduce others to Jesus. Ultimately, we want there to be more worshipers of the one true God for his kingdom So others tried to silence him, just like society can often ignore people that are in need. It doesn't just have to be people that are struggling on the streets. There are many people with many needs, and it can be so overwhelming. You know, there were times, I think, that all of us that were serving were overwhelmed. Overwhelmed by the mass of people, overwhelmed by the needs, overwhelmed by the conversations, overwhelmed by how much people were hurting and needed help. And you often feel like you can be of no good. So yesterday, our last day, I felt like that. Because, you know, I recently had the foot surgery and I'm going through the physical therapy. And I had been praying and really hoping that uh, my foot would, like, last through the week, you know. And and so um, Friday night, it was really bad. It was hurting and, and uh, I had to really rest it. And so I was hoping, you know, I was really thinking that I was doing a good job throughout the week of resting it and then being able to serve. But yesterday was really difficult and I couldn't do much but sit. And so I was feeling sorry for myself. Do you ever feel like that? When you feel like you're not being a help to anyone? Here I am and I was talking to Brother Rick and he came in to check on me and just sharing with him. We were sharing with each other, you know. He's struggling with knee problems, and I have my foot problem, and we're standing there, and we're, st- we're looking outside the bus at people that are standing and sitting. What kind of struggles do they have? They're out in the cold. They're standing there waiting for help. And so I felt helpless. I felt like I wasn't doing any good. And so, of course, you know, I had this bright idea. The Lord put it on me. How about you pray? You don't have to stand up to do that. And so as I'm looking outside, I'm praying for different people and conversations, but it was also so encouraging to see our team of people from Trinity engaged in conversation and service, to see them in action. You don't always get to see that when you're also serving. God almost gave me the opportunity to kind of step back, to rest my body, but to then pray and to see our team in action. I can't tell you how proud I was to be their pastor and the fact that they were representing Trinity. And I got to share with other people that were there serving. And they would say, what are you doing here? Oh, I'm here with my team from church and we're here serving. And 
I was very proud to see them engaged and willing to step outside their comfort zone and to pray with people when they don't even like to pray out loud, you know, with people they know, and to help others. So I was praying for others, but I felt so useless in that sense, so I started praying and I'm just wondering, God, I don't know, is this what I'm going to spend my day doing? But right before we left, there was a man named Angel. And Angel was struggling with a multiple, uh, multiple things. He was on methadone, recovering from a drug addiction. Um, he was suffering from some kind of mental disability. And to be honest, me and another leader named Ed, we were there. And to be honest, we didn't know if there was any kind of demonic oppression that was going on. And so we brought him onto the bus, and we certainly just, uh, we just asked him outright, do you believe in God? And when we asked him that, he started to twitch and to move, and, and it, was, it was scary, but it was, it was humbling and sobering to know that God brought him there for just that moment. We prayed for him, but we asked him some questions. Do you know the Lord Jesus? Do you believe in God? Do you feel like you're being oppressed right now? And he said, yes. We couldn't determine whether it was drugs or a mental illness. That's, that's for God to know. But what we did is we prayed. And we, let, we asked for permission. Can we lay our hands on you? We could put our hands on your shoulders. He said, yes. And all the while that we were praying, he was twitching and moving and making all of these matterisms. But yet we prayed. And when we were done, he seemed to have a little bit more of a peace. We don't know what God was doing or is going to do, but it was right before we were leaving. There was no more soup. There was no more bread. There was no more socks to give, but we gave him prayer. And our prayer was that we would give him hope. We said, you know what? Coming back tomorrow to that low, uh, next week, can you come back? And he said, yes. And we gave him information. We got information about people that were trying to help him in his clinic and all that. And so we made a connection representing God, the best that we could do. And here I was thinking, all I was going to do was pray. And how guilty did I feel? How important it is to be praying. And then God brings angel so that we could pray for him. So I don't know where he is today or if he is truly suffering from some kind of evil oppression, but God knows. And for those few moments that he was with us, we tried the best that we could and through the Spirit's power to help him. So in our story, we see that there were people that were trying to push him aside. But then Jesus stopped. I think that's my my favorite three words in this whole passage. And Jesus stopped. I think we need to get off the cycle of life and the busyness of life and we need to stop. And whether it's on the issue of homelessness or addiction or whatever else God might put on your heart, sometimes we need to just stop doing, stop walking, and stop being on our way and recognize what's going on around us and who is around us. And so the crowds were trying to silence him and Jesus stopped. And he said, call him. Then the disciples changed their tune. Hey, the master's calling you. Let's go. And so they invited him in. Jesus invites all of us. But see, there's many people in our lives, in our communities, whether it's in the streets of a city like Jericho or New York City, or it's right in your neighborhood or in your place of work or school. There's people that are in need and there's people that need to know the healer. And there's people that are being pushed aside. And so we need to stop. And we need to introduce them to Jesus. You know, um, I was reading throughout the week this uh, blog by a man named Aaron Armstrong. And he often blogs about poverty in cities. 
And he makes this point, which I think is very profound. He says, you know, fundamentally, the Bible tells us that poverty is a spiritual issue. And it's a result of the curse, so it affects all of us. Now, here's the thing. It doesn't mean that people that you see that are struggling, that are poor or addicted, it doesn't mean always it's because of a particular sin. It may be. But what this truly means is we go back to the beginning of the story and recognize that this is a broken world, isn't it? And so he goes on to say it this way, poverty is the default setting of our world. And it really is. But then you take it and you look at it spiritually, we are all spiritually poor, are we not? And we are to recognize how poverty is at work in our own life. We are poor We are wretched before God without the Lord Jesus. But what does it say in Matthew 5, 3, the very beginning of Jesus' greatest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, the very beginning of that, the very beginning of the Beatitudes, His introduction. So Jesus' introduction to His introduction, He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? I think it means humility. It means to be humble, to recognize we have nothing to offer. We are like Bartimaeus. We are blind to the truth. We are lost. We are poor. And we are to simply call out the name of Jesus, the Son of David, the one who we know can bring healing. But that recognition, that perspective is so important, isn't it, church? That we remember, hey, Jesus starts His most important message with this introduction. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's where we have to start. See, that's our starting line. That's our starting point. That is the position we are to take to recognize that we experience spiritual poverty. So it does three things for us. It makes us sensitive to God's mercy, remembering our original position and what Jesus has done for us. It should remind us to be sensitive to the fact that we serve a merciful God. So if God has been merciful to us, should we not be merciful to others? But also, secondly, our spiritual poverty reminds us that we are to keep our eyes open for those that are also in a desperate situation. I've mentioned this many times, but it's been said that we are merely beggars showing other beggars where to find bread. You see? It's not like we were beggars and now we're, you know, should be kings and queens looking down on beggars. No. Yes, we're a royal priesthood. We are children of the living God. But we recognize we could be this far away from that kind of poverty. But we recognize, hey, we're all spiritually poor. So it keeps us sensitive to God's mercy. It keeps us uh, focused on those who are also in a desperate situation. But then it, of course, reminds us to have compassion rather than contempt for those that are lost and in need. And then, you know, um, we talked about this verse throughout the week as well. In John twelve eight, Jesus says some very curious words. And I believe that these words have been misconstrued, misunderstood, misapplied throughout church history, and even within the last 150 years or so. You know, this is the story of when Mary anoints Jesus' feet with oil 
Remember that? When she takes this pint of pure nard, its perfume, and pours it on his feet and takes her hair and washes his feet. Remember that story? Do you remember who else was part of that story who was complaining about it? It was Judas. Remember what Judas said? She did that. And then Judas says, whoa, why are we allowing Mary to do that? Why is she doing this? Do you know that that bottle of perfume was worth like a year's wages? Maybe even someone's lifetime savings. And we're going to waste it on washing your feet, Jesus? When we could, this is Judas saying, we could sell that and give it to the poor. Now, I think even without Mark kind of giving us in parentheses what was really happening, I think we would pick up on that, wouldn't we? Because Mark even makes the point to say, you know what, and the other gospel writers who say, he didn't do that because he really cared about the poor. He did it because he was a thief. And he was dipping his hand into the treasury. Why? Because Judas was in charge of the finances of all the disciples. You believe that? What does that also say about Jesus? Did he not know what Judas was going to do? But yet he allowed him to be in charge of the money. And it was certainly money that got him in the end, wasn't it? And so that's the story. But then Jesus responds this way. When Judas says that, and it appears the other disciples come alongside of Judas, and they're like, yeah, why would we do this and waste all that perfume? Jesus tries to then teach them, you know, she's doing the right thing, worshiping me, preparing me for burial. He doesn't say those words, but that's the intimation. But then he says this. He says, you know what? To Judas and all the rest of the disciples, the poor you will always have with you. But you don't always have me. Well, what would that mean? Doesn't it in a way seem at first like Jesus is downplaying the needs of the poor and the struggling? Just on the surface, can it just seem like maybe he's saying, you know what, there'll be plenty of time for the poor. Don't worry about them. Yes, you're supposed to worship and honor me now. But we know, of course, that can't be the case, can it? Because God... All throughout the Old and the New Testament, we see so much about God's heart for the poor and those struggling with poverty. So what could Jesus possibly mean? And just like how we do this oftentimes, we we think Jesus is saying one thing when it's really opposite, right? Because of our sinful nature. I think Jesus is teaching just the opposite. He says, the poor you will always have with you. In a way, he's saying, look, Mary is worshiping me and honoring me by pouring this perfume, giving all that she has and honoring me by washing my feet with her hair. And he says, you know what? Any time that you serve those less fortunate, you're worshiping me. Don't we know elsewhere that we see that when we do for the least of these, we do for Jesus? It's an opportunity to worship God by handing somebody a piece of bread. By shaking somebody's hand and saying good morning and letting them know there's people that care for them. See, that's an act of worship. So being able to meet with people that are struggling is a way to worship God. Now, we don't have Jesus walking among us right now, do we? No. But yet we still have the opportunity to worship Him because we see His beautiful people and we see people struggling. Those are opportunities. Remember, they're not projects. They're not problems to be solved. They are God's creation. They are masterpieces. They are an opportunity to worship God and to honor Jesus 
by reaching out our hands and helping. So Jesus says, you're always going to have the poor with you. But you're not going to always have me walking among you, so it's good to give me attention. Because after I leave, in a few short hours, after I leave you, you'll be able to keep worshiping me. And one good way is to help those that are less fortunate. But here's another thing about this that I think we would be uh, remiss to, to pass up on. It really seems like Jesus was quoting something from the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 15.11. Look what it says here. Remember, remember the context. Who was Jesus talking to? Judas, the disciples. Weren't they all? Most of them Jews. So, right? And so they would have grown up knowing the Old Testament, the Scriptures. So Jesus is saying this to them, knowing that they would know what would come next. You know how there's like idioms and there's sayings in, in our culture that you don't even have to say the whole thing and people know like what you're about to say? Like if you were to say sticks and stones to somebody that was calling your name, you don't have to say the whole thing, sticks and stones, break my bones, right? Names will never hurt me. All you have to do is say sticks and stones. People know what the rest is because it's common. So Jesus says, the poor you'll always have with you. Because I believe he knew that all those disciples, including Judas, would know what comes next. The point he was trying to make. He didn't even need to finish it. Because look at what comes after that. This is from Deuteronomy 15.11. This is God's teaching on the sabbatical year, the seventh year, when the slaves were to be set free and debts were to be canceled, when there is to be shown mercy and grace to people in need. Look what it says. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Does that sound familiar? Jesus saying, you'll always have the poor among you. And then what comes next? Therefore, therefore what? I command you, God says, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. So Jesus isn't saying the poor will always be with you, so never mind them for now. Like, you know, it'll always be a problem. You can't fix it. Don't worry about it. No, he's saying just the opposite. The poor you'll always have with you. So be generous. Just like she was being generous with the perfume and pouring it on his feet, lavishing on Jesus. Jesus saying, open wide your hands to those in need. Just like Mary was doing. They would have known it. And he was saying to them, be generous. He knew Judas was being stingy. He was coming across like he was being generous, wasn't he? But in his heart, he was corrupt. And I think it's a challenge for us as well, church. We have to be careful and watch. Are our actions on the outside truly matching what's on the inside? Because, you know, we may be able to fool some of the people some of the time. But you can't fool who? Well, we say mom. Some people say mom. We say God, right? can't fool God. God knows what's going on. He knows your heart. Jesus knew the heart of Judas. And, of course, in hindsight... Mark and the gospel writers, they knew, so they could write it back in and say, he didn't really mean that, because he was a thief. See, he had his own interests in mind. So they knew what he was trying to say, the poor you'll always have with you, saying, be generous. Be generous with me, I'm here now. Be with me. Yes, there's going to be the poor, you're going to have plenty of opportunities to worship me by serving them once I'm gone. But it's all in that context of that sabbatical year and under the Mosaic Law of just like that's a time when we, we give and we forgive. We forgive people and the slaves are set free and, and the yoke of oppression is done away with and Jesus is saying that's what we are to do. He's telling His disciples, I'm about to leave you so it's okay for you to worship Me now and give Me some attention 
and honor. But when I'm God, can you do that to my children, please? To everybody? Not just the people that look like you. Not just the people with the same color skin or that have the same amount of money or that are part of the same clubs as you or in the same life situation, young and old. No matter what part of life they're in, no matter what role in society they play, Jesus says, take care of my people. Because when you do, then you're loving me. And Jesus will bring that back at the end of all things when he talks to us in the judgments, doesn't he? And so we conclude with this. 1 John three seventeen. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Somebody said uh, on our trip, there was another volunteer who came and um, she, uh, actually she works there, and she said to us on the bus ride in, you know, we go into the city, and we're worshiping. Um, and we, um, we get to know each other. We play a, like a name game first, and we give each other nicknames, and I won't tell you what everybody's nickname was, but you should ask them afterwards. Ask Steve what his nickname is. And, um, but then after that, you know what we do? We worship. We put worship music on. And we worship because we need to go in, we're going into spiritual battles. We recognize the enemy doesn't want us to pull up in East Harlem next to a methadone clinic and next to a, a big, you know, open lot where there's all kinds of garbage and people that, you know, are struggling. The enemy doesn't want us there. And so we need to pray and to worship. But look at what it reminds us. The Word of God says, If anyone has the world's goods, like if you have a lot and you have enough and God provides you and he says, you have the world's goods, and then you see a brother or sister in need. If you close your heart against him, how is it that God's love abides in him? So this, this worker said, you know, she said, I never heard this before. I had to think about it. And she said, you know, it's been said that, that you can give without loving, but you can't truly love without giving. Isn't that right? Hey, you can give, but not really mean it. You can give money, you can give your time, but your heart, your mind could be elsewhere. You can just go through the motions. Most people won't know. But you can't truly love God and have a heart for Him and not give in some way. Whatever that looks like for you. It doesn't have to be with a ministry like this. It doesn't have to be with one of our missionaries. Whatever that looks like for you, I think that what God is trying to tell us very simply, in our own context, our own lives, He's telling us, open wide your hands, like it says in Deuteronomy 15. Open wide your hands to those in need. Don't close off your heart against your brothers and sisters that have a need. There's needs in this church. Don't close your heart to that. Because God's heart is for those that are in need. But then we remember, at the end of all things, at the end of the day, we're all spiritually poor, aren't we? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't mean that's how you get to heaven by just being humble. But it means you get to then possess all of the rewards and the riches of the kingdom that awaits because we're loving Jesus. Right? We are called to be the church. You know, this is a, this is a, a big undertaking and we, we often uh, forget this. But the church, now listen closely, the church is God's plan. For the bringing of salvation to this world because we represent Christ. We're to be the, the salt and the light, see? 
We're the mouthpieces. We're supposed to represent Him and represent Him well in every way. And that means that we have to learn. So we learn how to do it. We have to grow so we can trust Him. But then we serve. We go out, out of our comfort zone. We start here among us. The world will know we're Christ's followers by the way we love each other. But then we take that love outside these four walls and we serve others. Because just like it says, like, you know, you can give and you don't really love, but you can't truly really love me if you're not then giving. And that's our call this morning, church, is to recognize there is need all around us. And ultimately, the biggest need is a spiritual need, a need for salvation, a need for that cure for what ails everybody. Because if poverty truly is the default setting of our world, well, we're part of that world. And so we come from that point of view, remembering we were once lost, but now we're found. And like Bartimaeus, we were once blind, but now, praise God, we see. Would you stand? And we'll close in prayer. Father God, it's with humility that we even stand before you now and pray and ask for your help. God, we have read from your word your heart for people in need. But we know that we were people in a spiritual need and yet we still need you and we have all kinds of other needs, God, but yet you call us now to take that hope that we have and to always be ready to give an account for it wherever you might take us. So God, would you help us this week once we leave this place in a few moments and we leave this place and we go out these doors, God, we're on the mission field and you call us to represent you, to carry on the mission that you began, that you taught your disciples and that we are now to go make disciples of all the nations, teaching them everything you taught us, what you taught us this morning, baptizing those who are new believers representing to the world around us who we are under whose banner we walk into battle. But Father, we do it um, from a place of humility. That's our desire at least, not pride. Because we know blessed are the poor in spirit and that's where we need to start. So Lord, yes, we recognize that the poor will always be among us. It can be a daunting um, thought and it can be um, overwhelming at times, but God, would you help us as so we just help one person at a time because that person matters to you. So help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I just share a brief illustration? I know you probably heard it. it. just came to mind. I think it's a good visual. Did you ever hear the story about the boy with the starfish who was throwing the starfish into the ocean? And a man comes along and there were thousands of starfish on the beach and he comes along and he sees a young boy and he was picking one up and throwing them back into the ocean so they could survive because they were all going to die and the man comes along and says young boy why are you being so silly could you possibly help all of them what will it matter what difference will it make and he picked one up and the young boy said to the old man it'll make a difference to this one he throws it back into the ocean we can't help everybody the poor will always be with us right But we can help one person at a time, one day at a time, right? Amen. Amen. Let's go in peace and serve and help others. Amen.